am Chris, and this is my Writing Table podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair and let's begin. Polly Hamilton Hilsebeck was in the second wave of women ordained as priests in the Episcopal Church and lives with her husband in Durham, North Carolina. Recently, she released her novel, American Blues. Welcome, Polly. Thank you. Great to be here. You are an ordained priest, and you were ordained in the second wave of women brought into the Episcopal Church. So what did it take for you to make it past these challenges to get into that second wave of women that were brought into the Episcopal Church? I think I did what my 102-year-old mentor friend says to do, just do the next mundane step in the Episcopal Church that meant interviews, consultation, being examined by different bodies, commission on ministry, standing committee, psychologists, multiple times, because it's a great responsibility, right, to be clergy. There's such a power differential. The process of ordination was very lengthy, involves multiple interviews and examination by clergy, lay, and professional psychologists. Once you're accepted, then you are embraced, you are supported 150%. Really good experience being ordained in the Diocese of Los Angeles. How did going through all that inform your journey toward writing? You know, I've been writing since I was a little kid. In terms of the story, I thought the intersection between race, gender, and church was a good vehicle to tell an American story about race, gender, and church, and that hopefully readers would experience living with the characters and the story. I thought to animate and and now especially since 2020 to continue to fuel conversation about race and gender, especially in America. The book you're talking about, American Blues, tell us about that story. This liturgical time of year, this is Holy Week in the Western Christian world, uh, a week later for Eastern Christianity. My book, Things Start Heating Up, a week after Easter, that's intentional, there's a lynching Mm -hmm. in 1973. Main character, Lily Vida Wallace. She's dropped like an immigrant into Greenville, South Carolina. She grew up in Texas, but Texas is not South Carolina. She travels to Greenville, South Carolina with her boss, the executive officer of the National Episcopal Church, on the request of the local priest where their black church sexton has been lynched. Mm, Wow. So she returns home, changed, of course, by this brief, but probably the most impactful encounter with violence with a Black community. She returns home to Manhattan, and her life changes significantly. What is it that you would like readers to take away from reading it? Your books are sort of coming of age. And I'm wondering if all fiction isn't a kind of coming of age Mm -hmm. and that we can keep coming of age. I think it's more of an experience rather than a message. I hope that readers living with the characters and the narrative, this American story will 
cause kind of an excavation of their own experience, their own assumptions. I read a piece just about two months ago about a Toni Morrison short story, the only short story she wrote. And her intention in writing it was to have the readers activate their own assumptions about race. So she didn't overly physically describe the characters. 22 years ago, when I started writing this novel, that was exactly what I wanted. This friend read the first 12 pages or something like that. He said, here's what's wrong with it. You don't describe the characters. And I said, bingo. Yay, Eureka. You That's just, the point. <laughs> you just confirmed my gist. As a writer, I'm not playing with the reader. I'm not tricking the reader. I'm not mocking the reader. I'm inviting the reader into this world that has come to me that I've created so that they have conversation with themselves. I hope that American Blues is hospitable to that. At a conference, I don't know, probably five years ago, it was soon after The Hate You Give came out, Angie Thomas's book. Oh, and I love, that. Uh, I love the film. And uh, I read all of her books. She was speaking at this conference and she said, at the time she was talking about kids, saying kids need to see themselves in novels in order to be interested in, in the story. If, if the stories are all framed around a 30-year-old white woman, a 17-year-old black kid is never going to want to read that because he yeah. doesn't see himself. When you were explaining this, I thought that's so smart, especially a book that is about race, to give that reader the opportunity to see the characters as they see themselves. Also, like your books, um, your Goodbye Lark, Lovejoy, uh, Sissy, you and I know that there are different ways to describe characters that the reader gets, like their dialogue. Mm -hmm. Dialogue is great. Their expression, what's important enough to say <laughs> that the characters are saying, and also what they're not saying. That can be more important, what they're not saying. You know, speak to a lot of authors and someone was telling me they will kind of make almost a Venn diagram and say, this is what this character knows. And this is what they don't know. And basically line out what each of the main characters know and don't know. That has really helped in looking at what doesn't get explained. As the author, it makes you more protective. What you put in is important as what you leave out. Oh, that's so interesting. So not just the what you and I have heard before. You interview your characters and da 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 and go yeah go deeper yeah. into them, but what they know and don't know, and especially Chris, this age of privacy, mm -hmm. making public, everything's so public. So you've been doing that with the piece that you're working on now. Yeah. It what is, did you find? I think I did it a little bit, not purposefully in my first book. The main characters focused on her relationship with this man who came back from Afghanistan, but there's this whole piece about how Vietnam affected her family that was never discussed. And she came along after Vietnam, after dad came home and that purposely didn't get discussed discussed. Everybody kind of peacefully lived around it. Yes. And so I think I had done that, but not with an intention. We've all heard how readers want to be able to predict the outcome of the book that gives them <laughs> some satisfaction, but they also want those surprises. And I think that's where we can build up those surprises and the things we don't want people to know. And you think about in our personal lives, okay, I'm a writer. I do this, I do that. Everybody can know that, but what is it that I don't want them to know? What is yeah. it that that is really precious to my family that we might talk about 
that I would be floored if it got discussed out in public. And so those are the things I think I'm really thinking of now more mindfully than I was before. Mm. And I think it's adding more dimension to characters. Almost trite that I bring this up. What is it that we don't want to talk about in this country, but in fact, we are talking about? We as writers, it's not only great for us in our life, (laughs) but also for the readers exploring the same issues. Like in your bringing up Vietnam, you just say the word. There are some words Mm -hmm. involve a whole descriptor in the reader's mind, body memories as a writer to use those respectfully. Knowing what ignites in the reader might ignite this whole nation, the whole America. When you use terms or names or identify something. You bring up about the terms and names and so many of the time, you know, you hear about the N-word. Well, it's in this song. And so what's the big deal? And then others of us hear it and cringe. Keeping that in mind, as a white woman writing this book about gender and race, you've discussed a lynching of a Black man. Are there things you handle differently because of who you are? Chris, that is a great question. I'm going to approach it from a little bit different way. I just want to say that It's not usual for a white fiction writer to be explicit about race. So that's where my novel might be different. When I first started writing this story and then finished it and started chopping it around, I got responses like, this is too controversial. When I first started writing it, I wrote a longhand on legal pads, yellow legal pads, Mm. and then I would type it and give portions to my alpha editor, not only for the writing, the story, but also she was my sensitivity editor because she's Black and an artist herself in multiple ways for race sensibilities. I could write a book about our conversations, about the story that I was writing, and also her unfamiliarity with the Episcopal Church. She is Baha'i. Fast forward to going through pre-publication process. The copy editor, the first thing that got changed, the very first page, the last (laughs) sentence, I had to change it from the N-word which is what would have been said to one of them boys. Mm. And there's another instance when you say one of them boys, I think the reader gets it. The instincts of the publisher and sensitivities of the publisher, which is really important. One of the main characters, Lucius, talks about his grandmother in this position of being lent out by her boss her white boss. In a few of those cases, then I could keep the vernacular. It is appropriate to that era and that part of the country. Think about that first page and what listeners may not know, if you haven't been writing for very long, you you probably don't know this. If you have, then you know how much time authors spend on that first page. That first page doesn't get written and shelved. That first page, you go back to hundreds of times to make sure that it's right, that it's going to catch the reader's attention, and that you've drawn as clear a picture as you can of the main character or the story. So interesting to me that you had to change something on the first page because the first page, you've looked at that how many times before you sent it to the publisher? I'm happy with one of them boys. So you feel like that that was where it needed to be. I actually was happy with that. Listen to this story. You're younger than I am, but 
I knew all the words to Gene McDaniel's hit song that the novel begins with. He took a hundred pounds of clay and then he said, Hey, listen, I'm going to fix this a world today because I know what's missing. Then he rolled his big sleeves up and a brand new world began. He created a woman and a, oh, oh, lots of loving for a man. Well, this has its own story. Gene McDaniels is Black. His song was a hit. In the UK in 1961, it was banned because it was sexist in 1961. <laughs> but I think it's also racist driven. What happened was a white guy. I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to mention his name. I want to give credit to Gene McDaniels. <laughs> a white guy changed a few words and re-recorded it and it became a hit. And so he got all that money in the UK. So just starting off this novel with Gene McDaniels' song, it, it has a certain perspective how race is involved in the story of the song. And the story is ostensibly about gender and sexism, but really it's about both. Dan, I'm going to do a little research on Gene McDaniels now. All is fascinating. You know, as a writer, there's so many things that you can pursue. Oh my gosh, it's the afternoon's gone. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You fall into that hole real quick. Like I did okay, not I know. need to find a name for this person. You start looking and then, yeah. It's gone. <laughs> That's what I wanted to ask you too about. How did you come up with the names for Sissy Klein and Lark Lovejoy? How did you come up with your names? I love that you asked me this question. The Lovejoy thing is something that I have been living with for a long, long time. When we started using cell phones to text and the predictive spell check thing would change, whatever it was we were trying to say, I would send texts to my husband and my children and often type love you. And it would autocorrect to love joy. Huh. It happened so much that towards the end of my career in the nonprofit world, my husband was like, okay, you've been talking about quitting to write. When are you going to do it? I knew that that needed to be in there somewhere that love joy was something that was important. That's where love joy came from. And Lark thought, about this character. And I'd been thinking about her for a long time. I thought I want her to be like a bird. And I thought about Wren didn't stick, but I liked Lark because I could make it about her family and tie it back. That's her grandmother's name. Sissy hmm. was different. All of her life, she is what other people have made her until this thing happened. She was born Priscilla, but she never got to be Priscilla. Wanted her to have been robbed of her name. And that's why she's sissy. Oh, that's such a great story. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, my, my character, I like the name Lily, but we have two sons. Brent, Lily, Hilsebeck. No, that wouldn't have worked. And then Vida, another yeah, word. Life, right? For life. Yeah. yeah. I like that. And Wallace, my eternal grandfather's name is Wallace Snow Hamilton. Wallace just seemed to fit the cadence and that Lily Vida Wallace was born in Texas. If there are allusions to George Wallace, well, that's maybe okay too. <laughs> uh, but that's sort of a, another shade removed. I know you've been busy with the launch of your book, but have you read any books lately you want to talk about? Oh, the book that I'm reading now is Billie Jean King's memoir. All in. Oh, I just saw that at the bookstore. She is one of my idols in all ways. 
not just because I'm a tennis player, but what she did for women. So just like my book has a character that hasn't appeared in any action, a serious Episcopal priest, Billie Jean King came at civil rights for women through tennis. And she bears that history. She caused the change in women's pay. She lived it. I recently read Red at the Bone. I have that and I have not read it. One of, of course, I have a lot of books I haven't read yet. Another favorite author, her Brown Girl Dreaming, her mm-hmm. memoir and poetry is brilliant. I've read all of her books, even Young Adult or Brown Girl Dreaming. It's supposed to be juvenile, but it's for all ages. Anyway, I love Jacqueline Woodson. So her Red at the Bone, it's slim, it's stark, it's lyrical, of course, It is intimate. That brings up another point of what we were talking about. All writers know this, that what you reveal about yourself and the writing, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying um, matching your life with the life. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. It's just anytime you put your art out there, it's revealing. This Red at the Bone is, it's such an honor to read it. Well, I'm going to go pull that out. One book I was going to recommend to you because of your background, you may have already read it. I didn't discover it until right before I was set to interview Elena Dillon, her book, Mercy House. Hmm. And it's about some Catholic nuns in, I want to say they're in Brooklyn. They have a domestic violence shelter. There is gender and race. And the writing is lovely. The subject matter, I think you would enjoy. Thank you. Thank you so much. What would you tell someone who's considering writing for the first time? Good question for which I don't have an answer. But let me tell you what I did. And maybe there are some generalizations you can take from it. One thing I love to do is go sit in a public place and just listen to human expression. So I mentioned that I started writing and finished writing this novel on Maui. What I used to do is go down the hill from our house in Haiku to Makawao, to Katata's Noodle House. It was like something out of the 40s and 50s, because in fact, it was opened in the 40s by the family that still ran it. I would go there in the morning and sit in a booth with my yellow legal pad, listen to the speakers, Portuguese, Hawaiian, Chinese, Hawaiian, A lot of hard workers would come there to pick up their breakfast, which was like a lunch, or maybe eat breakfast and also take lunch. That's where I got the Pepsi clock on the first page. Lily looks up at the Pepsi clock. They had a cooler that was like something out of the 40s and 50s with cans of Pepsi and bottles of knee-high soda and... Of course, because it's Hawaii, cans of aloha iced tea. The family, they were the cooks, the servers, conversation about life. They and I would always talk about my writing. Oh, what are you writing now? And, you know, I love that, the story. So my way is maybe not your way, you new writer. But if you like the sound of that, find a habitat, maybe a place where you get coffee or or better yet, a place where people come and eat and all different kinds of people. 
Here in Durham, it's the chicken hut, my favorite. It's been here for over 70 years. The other part of that is my contemplative side. Just be still with yourself and just let all sorts of scenes and images thrill you. By that, I mean, make you come to life. You know, have a pad of paper, different items. There was something about the Pepsi clock that, of course, everybody checked that Pepsi clock when they came in, if they were waiting for takeout or, you know, of course, everybody checks the clock and it was this old Pepsi clock. Just trust that what you need will come. It will come. Not just starting writing, but, and you know this, Chris, you're starting writing. Oh, you get to chapter two, you're starting writing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, you, you've done a transition. You've moved chapter 11 to the beginning. Oh, you're starting the writing. <laughs> you know, there are many starts, just like there are many coming of ages. So just trust because you have this calling to write. It was just great talking with you. Well, it's so nice to meet you. you. Thanks so much. Visit Polly at Polly. HamiltonHilsebeck.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.